Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together, and I'm chuckling because if you were with us yesterday, you know that I'm not live today. In fact, I won't be live with you again until uh, around the 13th, 14th of January, whatever that uh, that Monday is, because I am, let's see, today will be Wednesday, so I am preparing tomorrow for my son's wedding, January 4th, that is. I'm recording this early, and uh, I'm not with you, so I can't see comments, can't see chat. Again, I, can't, I don't even know if you can put chat on, on a video I up upload like this. Anyway, uh, we are talking through the kingdom. It's 2024. The king is reigning, the Lord Jesus, year of our Lord Jesus, 2024, and we're talking about kingdom. And we're going to get into Daniel's prophecies. These are amazing. These are, I look back now and think, how, why have I not spent more time here? So many things come clear about the New Testament as we study Daniel. The quotes and allusions the labels, the framing, the, the terminology, so much of it comes from Daniel, as I hope to, to show you in the upcoming days. And in particular, the idea of the kingdom and what it means that Jesus is reigning now, what it means for us and the timing of all this. We get, uh, you know, I've been talking about the, uh, the devil psyop. I can't remember, uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. By the time you listen to this, I don't know if I will have said it more than once, but I know in the, the very first Freeform Friday, uh, I mentioned that. And I think one of the aspects of the devil's psyop and, and the church being uh, almost hijacked by abstract systematic theology is we interpret the scripture from this uh, this rationalistic, systematic way, as opposed to the story of Jesus and the predictions of the coming of Jesus. And this has very real impact on our view of things. For instance, you're familiar with eschatology, right? You know that word? Maybe you have a hard time pronouncing it, eschatology. The uh, Greek word eschaton is the word for last. And so eschatology is the study of last things. And as soon as you hear that, you're thinking Jesus coming back someday and we're studying what's going to happen then and between now and then. I want to show you that is not how we should think of last things. For some of you, this is going to rock your world and, and you're going to put up a fight and that's fine. Again, I'm kind of, <laughs> kind of glad I'm not coming to you live so I don't get distracted by your, your chat here. I'm, I'm just asking you, will you give me a chance to show you something different from what you've learned? Maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I certainly want to be shown that I'm wrong. But 
it's also possible that what you have been taught is wrong. And what all of us should want is to see what actually derives from the scripture. And this is why I keep telling you, put away the writings of men. I get asked all the time for book references on these things. And I keep telling people who ask me that. I'm not going to give you books to read. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. And let's let the Bible teach us what is true. And and we all believe that. We all hold that as our principle. But it's so easy to say, well, I I can't understand this. So I need to read what men said. Okay. Daniel 2. We're going to start there today. Daniel 2. This is where Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king who conquered Jerusalem, dragged off some of the Jews to, to exile. Daniel is one of them. De- Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, for the uh, VeggieTale fans, he sees this vision that startles him. He's, he's in bed at night and he, he sees this vision of this massive statue got the head of gold and different metals throughout his body, the kind of thing. And, and he is quite alarmed. And so he summons all the wise men, all the, the uh, dream interpreters. Apparently he's got a, a, a group of uh, men who this is their job is to interpret dreams for him. And uh, he's on to them. They, they're, they, of course, they don't know what these dreams mean, uh, but they make stuff up. And apparently their, their answers are ambiguous enough to satisfy Nebuchadnezzar that they're right and, and ambiguous enough where the interpretation is true. You may remember the Oracle of Delphi. It was another one of these, uh, these interpreters, these, these fortune tellers where people would travel. Kings would send emissaries miles, you know, thousands of miles to go to the Oracle of Delphi to ask the Oracle a question, and then they would act on the answer. Um, you know, so a king might send uh, a messenger to the oracle and say, you know, we're thinking about going to battle, going to war against this other nation. Will we have victory? And the oracle will say something like, ah, a great king will rule and conquer and have victory over its enemies. And the messenger comes back and says, yes, king, the oracle says we'll win. Well, that statement, right, uh, is ambiguous doesn't say which king. <laughs> so it was all, you know, sleight of hand sort of uh, trick. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was on to these interpreters and he knew that they weren't uh, truly telling the fortune. So he says, here's what I'm demanding. Not only are you to give me the interpretation of the dream, but before you do that, you are to give me the dream itself. So I dreamed something. I want you to tell me what I dreamed and then tell me what it means. And the Interpreters, of course, said, no one can do that. It's impossible. Just tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. And Nebuchadnezzar says, no. In fact, if you can't tell me the dream that I saw in my head, then off with your heads. And so he sends out an edict that all these are going to be executed because they couldn't tell the dream. And uh, someone says, hey, there is a guy, one of the Jews who can tell you. So Daniel is summoned. And of course, God gave Daniel the dream and the interpretation. So that's where we pick up in Daniel chapter 2, verse 29. So here is Daniel speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. As for you, O king, while you were in your bed, your thoughts turned to future things. The revealer of mysteries has made known to you 
what will take place. Now here, I want to just show you something. This phrase, uh, while you're on your bed, your thoughts turn to future things. That's the NET. What does the NAS say? Uh, your, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. Let me just check the other. ESV says uh, of what would, what would be after this. The NIV says things to come. Let me just go see what the literal says. What is to be after this? Okay, uh, so those are all, you know, fine translations of the Hebrew. The Greek says, the, the Septuagint says uh, that while you're in your bed, your thoughts turn to the last days. The last days. Let me, uh, let me show you that why. Oh, ha, there we go. Okay, so here's the English over here. In the future, this phrase, this phrase in the Greek is the phrase upon or on the last, that's the, this is the Greek word eschaton, hameron, days, the last days. It is exactly the same phrase as that which occurs in Hebrews chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways in these last days, if I switch that over to the Greek, even if you don't read Greek, you might be able to see that this phrase and this phrase is the same phrase. Do you see that? This kind of looks like an E and a pi, pi symbol, E and a pi symbol. See these? In the last days. The, the phrase in the last days is what Nebuchadnezzar is seeing. O king, while you were in your bed, your thoughts turned to the last days. So whatever Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream, that's the last days. That, that, that's what's happening in the last days. Then he says, the revealer of mysteries has made known to you what will take place. We've been over this in other contexts again and again. The word mystery, something that is hidden that has now been revealed. So there's something in hiding here that God is revealing to Nebuchadnezzar, things that are necessary to take place. All right. As for me, Daniel says, this mystery was revealed to me not because I possess more wisdom than any other living person, but so that the king may understand the interpretation and comprehend the thoughts of your mind. Okay, so now he's going to describe the dream and then the interpretation. You, O king, were watching as a great statue, one of impressive size and extraordinary brightness, was standing before you. Its appearance caused alarm. So the king saw this massive statue and it was intimidating. It got Nebuchadnezzar's attention. Right, you see that? All right. As for that statue, its head was of fine gold. Its chest and arms were of silver. Its belly and thighs were of bronze. 
Its legs were of iron. Its feet were partly of iron, partly of clay. You were watching as a stone was cut out. Okay, so just he sees this, this huge statue with the different elements, the gold and the bronze and so on, making it up. And by the way, just notice the detail. Right, there's no ambiguity here. Oh, king, you saw this um, impressive thing. And then waiting to see if the king responds. Yes, it's impressive. A king. Yeah, oh, a statue. Yeah, a statue. No, he's, Daniel's saying, look, I, I know exactly what you saw. Here it is in detail. But then it, he says, you were watching and a stone was cut out, not by human hands. Isn't that interesting? So, you, so he sees a statue and then he sees this stone cut out. A man didn't cut it out. And the stone struck the statue on its iron and clay feet, breaking them in pieces. So the stone, not cut by human hands, strikes the statue on its feet and crushes the feet. And the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken in pieces without distinction and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors that the wind carries away. Not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a large mountain that filled the entire earth. Now, for those of you who may be listening and not reading this with your own eyes, let me say that again. The statue is destroyed, but the stone that struck the statue, the one that was cut out but not with human hands, it became a large mountain that filled the entire earth. All right, so picture this in your mind. This is what, I, what Nebuchadnezzar saw. Big statue, stone crushes the feet of the statue, destroys the statue, and then that stone grows and grows and grows and increases and expands so big that it becomes a large mountain that fills the entire earth. What in the world? Stones don't grow. In fact, that's just the opposite of what they do. But this stone grew into a mountain so big that it covered the earth. Okay, that was the dream. Daniel says, now we shall set forth before the king its interpretation. Okay, what does this mean? Daniel's going to tell us. You, O king, are the king of kings. Now, we've seen that phrase before, haven't we? That is the phrase that describes Jesus. King of kings. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of kings here. The God of heaven has granted you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. Again, catch the imagery. When Jesus shows up and he's called the king of kings, we are to go back to Daniel. Because this phrase was already set for us in Daniel. Well, what does it mean that Jesus is the king of kings? Well, it means the same thing it meant for Nebuchadnezzar. That the God of heaven has granted him sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. Right? Nebuchadnezzar was the highest king of all the kings of his day. 
That's true of Jesus as well. Wherever human beings, wild animals, and birds of the sky live, he has given them into your power. The God of heaven has granted you this. The kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar had is from heaven. It's of heaven. It's not of this world. But the manifestation of the kingdom is in this world. He has given you authority over them all, King Nebuchadnezzar, over wild animals, over birds of the sky, and over human beings. You are the head of gold. Okay, so in this statue, the head of gold, the top piece, that's Nebuchadnezzar. Right? That's what he tells us. All right. Now, after you, another kingdom will arise, an inferior to yours. Then a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule on the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom, one strong like iron. Just like iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and as iron breaks in pieces all these metals, so it will break in pieces and crush the others. In that you were seeing feet and toes partly of wet clay, partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Some of the strength of iron will be in it, for you saw iron mixed with wet clay. In that the toes of the feet were partly of iron, partly of clay, the latter stages of this kingdom will be partly strong and partly fragile. And in that you saw iron mixed with wet clay, so people will be mixed with one another without adhering to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. All right, so some of the details of this, I don't know what they mean exactly. And, you know, people dive in to try to figure out what all of this is about. For our purposes, it doesn't matter. Maybe part of the purpose is to convince Nebuchadnezzar that he knows what he's talking about. But for our purposes, it doesn't really matter. What matters is the kingdoms that are listed here. So you, Nebuchadnezzar, are the king, uh, the head of gold, right? So there are four sections of the body of the statue, the head, the chest, the thighs, and the legs and feet, that kind of thing. That corresponds to four kingdoms. Now, do you know your history? Nebuchadnezzar, we are told, he's the king of Babylon. He's the head of gold. He's the first kingdom. Well, what kingdom comes after the kingdom of Babylon? It's the Persian kingdom, or sometimes referred to as the Medo-Persian kingdom, the combination of the Medes and the Persians. We're going to see that later in Daniel. So there's Babylon, and then there's the Persian or Medo-Persian. That's the second one. Well, who conquers the Persians? Alexander the Great, who's the king of Greece. That's the third kingdom. Well, who conquers that third kingdom? The Roman Empire. The Roman Kingdom. What Daniel sees, or what Nebuchadnezzar saw, what Daniel now sees and interprets is, here are these four kings and kingdoms. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. You tracking? 
These are the things that are going to take place in the last days. Here's where the magic happens. Verse 44. In the days of those kings, so you got these four kingdoms coming. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will raise up an everlasting kingdom that will not be destroyed and a kingdom that will, be, will not be left to another people. It will break in pieces and bring about the demise of all these kingdoms, but it will stand forever. You saw that a stone was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It smashed the iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold into pieces. The great God has made known to the king what will happen or what will occur in the future. The dream is certain and its interpretation is reliable. Guess what Greek phrase it says in the, in the Septuagint, what, what, what this phrase in the future uses? The last days. The great God has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will occur in the last days. Well, what is it that will occur in the last days? God, the God of heaven, will raise up an everlasting kingdom that will not be destroyed and a kingdom that will not be left to another people. It will break in pieces and bring about the demise of all the other kingdoms, but it will stand forever. That's going to happen in the last days. What does this mean? It means that Nebuchadnezzar foresaw the Medo-Persian Empire after his, and then Alexander the Great and his kingdom, the kingdom of Greece, and then the Roman Empire, and then the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven because the God of heaven is setting up his kingdom. Do you see why the New Testament writers can refer to this as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? Because Daniel said the God of heaven is establishing his kingdom. And his kingdom is going to crush and destroy all the other kingdoms. And the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven will stand forever and it will not be left for another people. All other kingdoms are left for another people. Some other king comes and takes them, but not the kingdom of God. Notice there's no gap here. There's no two or three or four or 10 millennium gap between this statue, these four kingdoms of the statue and the kingdom of God. No, what he saw was the stone not cut by human hands that crushes the other kingdoms and grows into this mountain that fills the earth. That's the kingdom of, of God or the kingdom of heaven. And it was inaugurated. It was set up. It was established. It began crushing the other kingdoms when the king came. The kingdom is now, my friends. If this is true, that means the kingdom of God is destroying all other kingdoms. 
There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. This stone is going to grow into a mountain that will cover the earth. Do you see the significance of this? When we think the last days are yet future, then we're left to sort of survive this life because all the stuff that matters is future. But that is not what the Bible describes, at least not these passages. The kingdom is now. Jesus is reigning. Now the son has been given. The child has been born. His kingdom is crushing the others. That is why we should pray that our king, the Lord of hosts, would send his armies to destroy the wicked, corrupt kings that oppose him. And we should expect victory. But alas, I'm getting ahead of myself. Go back and read this more carefully and then look and ahead to the rest of Daniel and you're going to see these themes repeated. And I think it might just change the way we go about living in the year of our Lord Jesus, the year of the kingdom of God, 2024. Think about it. We will come back tomorrow and continue looking at these things. God bless.